Welcome to the American Grown Podcast, hosted by Austin Sullivan. The American Grown Podcast will focus on people from different walks of life and their journey to where they are now. Now, turn up your volume and settle in for a great episode. Hi, I'm Austin Sullivan. This is the American Grown Podcast, recorded inside the ColorTech Creative Solutions Studios. Today, we have Ross Stockdale, full-time digital marketing consultant and co-founder of Perpetual Equity Group, a private equity company based in Lancaster. Ross, welcome to episode 21 of the American Grown Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I uh, must say, your studio is is the coolest one I've been in. Oh, man. Thank you so much. And you've been in a couple different podcasts, I think. Yeah. So I started podcasting 2018. Uh, in my spare bedroom in my house in Lancaster, very very low budget, and the idea there for behind Stocky Talk was to have people come into come into my house in Lancaster, and uh, I wanted to promote mixed martial arts, regional MMA. One of the things that I I love about the sport is just how passionate and raw and just almost still young it feels like comparatively like the NFL or MLB, uh, but people don't get paid. The yeah. regional level. So I wanted to get people paid. And I had about 40 episodes. And uh, my co-host at the time was also the, the head instructor at the MMA gym in Lancaster, Gracie 717, Zach Kelly. He's undefeated cage fighter. I got to do, be cage side for his, like it was like his seventh or sixth professional fight. And he threw a punch and missed and threw out his shoulder, dislocated his shoulder uh, throwing a punch. So... He called it quits when I was cage side, calling the fight, trying to be like a Joe Rogan Jr. Yeah. There. And the kind of show, it was tough to do by myself. So that was my first stint at podcasting. There were about 40 episodes there. Been a guest on maybe five or 10. And then I had one at uh, the last marketing company that I own, Perpetual Marketing Group. We did about 30 episodes there. Um, and that was inside of a you know, commercial real estate space. We owned a warehouse that sold horse products really horse so, products down in lancaster yeah down in new holland pa so oh, east, okay. eastern lancaster yeah yeah oh, that's awesome can the listener still access any of these on like spotify or apple Podcasts? are they all yeah i think they're still up i think everything's on youtube if you type in the pmg pod or stocky talk um if you search ross stockdale on youtube you'll probably find my cage fight as the first one that comes up but my podcast should be on there. So let's kind of segue in because you mentioned it. You were competing in combat sports for 25 years yeah. and, and you were trying for an MMA career, it sounds like. Yeah, man. So it's kind of crazy. I started, um, you know, I was a seven year old kid. Every, you know, a lot of kids play soccer. Their parents get them into something. I was getting thrown out of soccer games when I was in like seven years old when I was in grade school. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. For violence. <laughs> yeah. So my dad was like, we got to find him something. Something different. Yeah, yeah. So I did like tang sudo, so karate locally. And, you know, we're traveling to Valley Forge and other places in the state, Harrisburg, whatever, doing these sparring competitions, getting like gold medals as a kid. And I was like, I'm a karate kid at that time. So <laughs> I kind of I had some classmates and... They were in wrestling. My one buddy, Matt Myers, got All-American as like a fifth grader. I was like, okay, cool. How did you get in the local newspaper in wrestling? I want some of that. So I started wrestling at 10 years old. Wrestled elementary, junior high, high school, through college. Uh, Some friends of mine in college. Like that's when UFC started getting huge. Like Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz. Oh, the Iceman. Iceman. 
George St. Pierre is my favorite. So I had some friends that were doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, going to college at E-Town College. I just remember um, one of the party tricks, like the jiu-jitsu versus wrestling guy. Wrestling guy would slam him, just got to, you know, triangle choke, knock him out. So I got to learn that. So after college, you know, it had that kind of had that itch where I wasn't done competing. Joined jiu-jitsu, and three years later, I I was trying to get a fight, but like, yeah, I just didn't know how to box. Okay. I was just like grabbing people, and that, that's uh, the way it is now. Like you have to learn how to do everything. So I had two fights. Uh, my first fight I won from submission round three, and the second fight Whoa. I won, I lost a split decision or like a majority decision to a guy that uh, wrestled D one at Nebraska, and he was a five and one cage fighter going into there. Oh, Ended up being the champ of that promotion. Good guy, Dwayne yeah. Shields, and uh, it was a close fight. But I was like, man. I was one of those guys. I was like, "Oh, undefeated amateur, going to pros, like blue chip prospect." And when I lost, I was like, "All right, I guess I need to get a day job." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just kind of hung it back up. to reality. Yeah, Dang. too many, too many clunks on the head, too many concussions, and again, I realized like I was basically taking all my money that I saved from working because mm-hmm. I was working at a tech startup at the time. Okay. And then I left that to be a full-time cage fighter. Oh, wow. And I just, like, ran out of cash. I was like, I got to go go on Indeed, go on LinkedIn, go get another gig. Like, I'm going to hang up cage fighting. So, got, yeah. Yeah, so the fights that you did have, were they, like, uh, in Lancaster, Harrisburg? Uh, yeah, so Lancaster. So yeah. I had to fight at the old host on Route okay. 30 by Dutch Wonderland. That's a yeah, landmark. Yeah. Yep. Um, had a fight there. There was, like, 1,500 people there. It was max oh, capacity. Wow. Um, I was the first fight of the night, and I think I sold the most tickets in the whole card. So there digital marketing and sales background. Wasn't Came the best through. fighter. Was a good promoter for the organization. <laughs> yeah. And then I fought at the Lancaster Barnstormer Stadium, Clipper Magazine. So we fought Whoa. outside. It was one of the few, maybe the only outside cage fighting. It was the hottest day of the year. I actually had a buddy started drinking too early, had a heat stroke, had to go to the hospital. <laughs> LGH missed my fight. Oh, man. Wow. So. That's crazy. I guess now you, you, know, you could almost segue that into being, like you said, a promoter. Yeah, you know, for an MMA fighter, if you could find somebody local, some up and coming, you know, and, and and be a promoter for him, I would. I sponsor Christian Strictly Business Car. So Christian Car is a professional fighter, but when I met him, he was 14 years old. He was like in eighth grade, and now he's training with Bill Algio, who's in the UFC. Trains with Anthony Dill, a huge MMA fighter. Just trains with these pros that are all you know in the UFC, yeah. and he's he's 20. I want to say he's 22, 23 right now. And he's right up there with all of them. I think he's going to be in the UFC in two years. And what's his name again? Christian Carr. Christian Carr. All right. Shout out Christian Carr. That's awesome. I have to keep an eye out for that. And when you first came into the studio, you mentioned my Conor McGregor uh, box. And uh, I'm a big fan of of his whiskey, Proper 12. And uh, his fighting style, it's attractive, right? You know, and then the way he showboats and sells, like you say, and promotes his fights, I think is huge. And he really does market himself well. I think he's the best um, marketer, promoter in sports entertainment. He's he's up there with The Rock from the WWE. I would yeah. make that comparison. Yeah. He understands that. Yeah. I mean, he's very good at fighting, but he's the best at trash talking. He's the best at selling. And he makes himself relevant even when he's not fighting. Like, he's still yeah. the highest paid person. He doesn't even fight. It's crazy. He, he definitely has something magic going on there. Let's get back on track. We're talking about you uh, and your life and your journey. I know we're both uh, recent fathers. You just had a, a baby girl? Yes, yes. Uh, August 10th. So it's as of right now, recording, it's been two months. What a ride, man. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, they say girl dads rock, so. I, I was going to wear, I was gonna wear a shirt. I was painting between the Hawaiian or the top dad. Yeah. I have a Top Gun dad shirt. Oh, that's awesome. I'm uh, just fully embracing. Uh, what I want to get these New Balance Monarchs. Okay. Just mow the lawn in like <laughs> yes. denim shorts now. Like uh-huh. everything that's middle class fancy dad life. Like mm-hmm. That's what I want to embody. I feel like that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the Hawaiian shirt, by the way. I think you're the first on the podcast to wear, to rock a Hawaiian shirt. So Thanks, mad props. Man. Yeah, mad props. Cheers. So let's start off. Where'd you grow up? You know, I know you, you mentioned a little bit when you were talking about the MMA career. Yeah, man. So I grew up. So my mom is from Bedford, Quebec. So um, I grew up like 500 miles away from most of my family. But I'm, I grew up in Lidditz, Pennsylvania for the most part. Uh, lived in Lancaster area most of my life. Went to school at E-Town College. Went there for basically wrestling. Um, went to Warwick High School. And now I'm in South Lebanon. That's where the, the wife is from. So. so you were born in Quebec, Canada. So my... My mother was, okay. and I spent substantial time there. So I kind of think of myself as like, you know, my mom's a, she just got her green card like three years ago. So kind of like, yeah, I'm from here, but a lot of my family's from there. So yeah, I put, I put, I'm from Lidditz with an asterisk. Got you yeah. understood. Yeah. While in school, any sports, uh, wrestling, I believe yeah. you, you hit on a little bit. I basically just did sports to tackle people. So I played, <laughs> I, love I played football <laughs> Yeah. and I played defense. I mean, offense was a joke. Like yeah. I played fullback. I like, got block for people, but yeah, t- uh, blocking you probably were a good fullback. I was a lot smaller. So I was like a good wrestler cause I cut a lot of weight. Like okay. right now I'm about 80 pounds, maybe 70 pounds more than I was in high school. Um, but I played the safety linebacker and then I played rugby too. So same thing there. Well, just kind of blitzing the line. You and, played rugby. Yeah. Two years. All right. So I got a crazy side story and, and it ties into it. your rugby. So I had a client here at color tech. We do, uh, printing and it was in Harrisburg and he plays for, <clears throat> I'm going to mess it up, but it, it's a Harrisburg rugby team mm-hmm. and they were playing a team from New York. They brought a van and anyway, they're over, um, right by the airport is where they play. So I'm there taking pictures because we do some sports photography. Well, the client, because being a bigger guy, he's like, Austin, you should come out and play rugby. And I, th- I was considering it. This is my first time at a, a match or scrum or whatever mm-hmm. they call it. You know, I'm there watching, taking pictures with my Nikon. Next thing you know, I'm on the sideline with the teams and saying hi to the client. Hey, how you doing? And the New York guy comes off. He had a gash, like mm-hmm. two, three-inch gash, blood just dripping down his face. He sat out for maybe two or three plays. I think they used some gauze and kind of stitched him up right there on the sideline he went back in mm-hmm. and kept playing rugby players are a different breed yeah i had a teammate kevin casey against state college break his pinky so that it was at like a 90 degree angle facing out that way and he just went on the sideline said i need tape i need tape. I'm like, what are you talking about he snapped it back in place taped it up and ran back on the field he didn't take any time off wow like it was during play during play yeah, yeah. he just snapped it back and taped it and was like let's yeah. go he had so my team was in, was insane because we yeah. had some people go on to play at Penn State and win national championships. And I'm like, this sport, I can't believe it's not more popular in the United States. Yeah. It's so popular in Europe and like Australia, but not yet the United States. I'm like, football with all the pads and all the rules mm-hmm. is different than it was 20 years ago. It's different than it was 60 years ago. Oh, yeah. Rugby is the same sport. Yeah. It's never changed. That's true. So like... I love football, but at the same time, you know, yeah, you see, you see people like Tua from Miami oh, Dolphins yeah. getting that crazy concussion. But like in rugby, you just have to tackle better. 
Right. Like it's you just, just you don't have to rely on these these yeah. like pads. Like you're just wearing I, like a polo shirt. I, I think <laughs> pretty much yeah. It's like just like a spandex material, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't think co- concussions exist in rugby because <laughs> like they just go all out. You know, I'll see one every now and then. Like an older gentleman, you can tell he's a grizzly vet, and he has one of the. Uh, I, it's like a shower cap or like a swimming cap, but mm-hmm. it has like uh, air bubbles or something to protect him. And you know that's it though. You know these guys are just out there. It's almost like some of those are actually designed, Austin, for yeah. your ears. So people that play in the front, like as a uh, – they're called forwards. If you're in there and you're scrumming and rucking, your ears kind of like – if you, you can see mine, you get cauliflower. Yeah. So it's almost like wearing a headgear in wrestling for rugby. Okay, so it prevents I, – I have friends that wore those in games, and those are the ones that got concussions. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's subjective. It backfired that, on yeah, them. That, that yeah, that might not be scientifically proven. But so rugby in high school, and then so I went to E Town College, but I had teammates right. and a lot of friends that like I had a friend from wrestling that has three national championships in wrestling uh, at Penn State. So the wow. when Kale Sanderson, who's the best coach of the history of wrestling in college, transferred there, he was like an upcoming sophomore. He's like, wow, this is crazy. Like I had a totally different head coach. Yeah. And then they went on to win and win and win and win. So then I had, a, I had some friends that played rugby there and got national championships. Um, when I was at E-Town, we got, I think, 10th or 5th in the country. So that was my senior year. That was the best that we did competitively. But yeah, I'm more of a, I would never, I would say I wasn't like the guy I was going to get like first at Nation, but I was always there to ride with the team. I was just, I love being on, I love playing sports. Some of my best friends from sports. It's that camaraderie. Yeah, for you sure. Know, it's, it's that togetherness. So while you're at Elizabethtown, what were you going for? Were you major in partying? You know, what was, what was the deal with that? Definitely major in partying. <laughs> I was a philosophy and English literature major. Okay. Originally intending to be a teacher. Okay. And then two years, like halfway through college, I was like, I do not want to do these classes. Yeah. Like, so many 8 a.m.s, so much. Just, like, the schooling for me was not was not what I wanted to do. And I was like, I like these professors. Like, I pretty much chose my major based on the teachers at E-Town. I was like, I'm not going to transfer. It's too late. Like, I don't want to. I'll just finish in four years. And I thought, oh, I could go and do whatever after college with my degree. I was like, what college degree? It's not specific anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of, like, learned that lesson two years into it. And going back, I probably, you know, would change some things. But it was a good experience, and I partied a lot. So after your time at uh, Elizabethtown College, what was your path? So I really struggled to find meaningful work for almost a year afterwards. And what it was a blessing because for the first, like, 30 to 60 days, I was just so focused before I graduated on graduating. When I transferred majors halfway through school, I had to catch up a lot. So I was doing summer classes and extra courses. And my vision was so short-term. So I went, ended up going to the bar with a good buddy of mine from high school, a very smart guy. He had dropped out of Virginia Tech to help his family business. So it was like a third, second or third generation in the family business, and he wanted to keep it afloat. So he was Googling just how, like, ways to do that. That was his mission. And he stumbled across search engine optimization, so SEO. And I was just applying to jobs. Like, I was working just temp jobs, warehouse jobs, you name it. Like, I worked at the auto auction, just a whole bunch of different side jobs. And I would hang out with him at the bar, and he'd tell me about this. Like, oh, this is a this is a zillion-dollar acronym, SEO. You have to learn this is the future of everything. Okay, like, you're not a sales guy. I believe you. Like, you're not – you're selling me so hard, and you're an engineer. So I kind of learned SEO with him, and we basically grew his family business by like 250% in like a couple couple months. Wow. Holy cow. Saved it. So he, yeah. got, he got to go back to school. He went to Temple then. And then I just kept like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to build a website 
for my for my dad's business, for my family business. Got it on the first page of Google for every keyword we needed to at the time, yeah. 2013. Um, and then I was like, I was like, ah, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and start my own company. I knew nothing about business. Turns out, don't if you want to go into business. Rule number one: don't be a philosophy major. It will not help you. It won't work. No, there's no tr- very little transferable skill. Writing and researching are the transferable skills, and that's it. So, build a couple websites, rank them, learned SEO. I just said, you know what? I walked into a couple companies, and they're like, oh, it turns out walking in with unannounced is not a great, typically not a great way to get hired. So I, I started applying, and I landed an in-house gig doing digital marketing, making like 12 bucks an hour. And then in the first like 45 days, we increased sales and slow-moving inventory by like, I want to say like a thousand percent. I just got kind of lucky. A lot of marketing for, I found in my career is just like right place, right time, right circumstance. Yeah. Like not that I did anything, like wasn't planned. I was like, hey, maybe this will work. And it did. Right. So search engine optimization, Yeah. dummy proof it for me, water it down. How does it really work? Because I've, I've heard it before, obviously, and I, I, know a little, I know a little bit about it. We do printing here mostly, but we also mm-hmm. have some design and website capabilities and things like that. But like what really is it when you get down to it? Search engine optimization is making sure that when people are searching for your product or service, they have the best chance possible to find it for businesses. The search engine's entire job is to make sure that they give the right answer to people's queries or questions for most people. Uh, the way it used to work when PageRank existed like, was the only factor for ranking in Google back in the 90s, back in the early 2000s, is what was called like link juice or page rank rather would be distributed to websites based on how many sites were linking to it. So a lot of the online PR was just getting, you know, a media placement or a link from one website to another to try and raise your overall page rank. So for example, when your customers find you on Google, they might type in like, you know, print marketing company near me or print company at marketing Lebanon or a whole bunch of different ways to find you. If you're not showing up, you're leaving money on the table. Every time. And if you are showing up, you're making sure that you have the best possible opportunity to close that business and win new business. It gets even more insane when you're doing products. So I've done a mix of service business and products. Like my career has been all over the place. So I worked at that at this company that sold basically gardening and home deco products. And I started with doing SEO for Amazon specifically, and that kind of just blew up. We increased the sales of the company by almost 50% in like a year. And it was a 93-year-old business, right? So it was a mature really? business. Yeah, yeah. Like 8 mil to like 12 and a half mil. Wow. In like a year. Huge. Yeah. So like Amazon was a big help, but then they acquired a business. So the acqu- so I, that was my first M&A deal. Which okay, yeah. Perpetual Equity Group was an M&A firm. And we <laughs> kept top-line revenue like the same and we – reduce the cost of a lot of the marketing because they were spending marketing on so on just just tons and tons of stuff that so we reduced by like 90 percent and we're just using digital solutions for them at the time and we kept the same sales and they're like oh my god wow. reducing the budget by that much like net profitability went through the roof so that was cool um i kind of had like a big head on my shoulders at that point I'm like okay I, it's not just like a fluke like yeah you're onto something and i learned that by being you know, the youngest employee and a really like a hundred person company and it didn't have much negotiating, like leverage power to like get more money. So I said, okay, I'm going to go, you know, I got approached by a lot of recruiters at the time, went to a fast tech startup. 
It's like one of the fastest growing businesses in Lancaster called Harbor Compliance. They're a service business. So they're really a, like a tech solution. They were super digital forward. I like, love the culture, love everything they were, were going for. But I didn't know that what tech... I didn't know what tech and startup culture was like, and I had a crash course. So sales grew two and a half uh, times, so what, 350% in five months that I was there. I was employee seven. Now they have 100 employees. Wow. It's a huge company. Basically, like the way that the company grew is I was, I was focusing on cage fighting. I was working there a lot. Um, kind of just like some employees just get phased out for whatever reason. I think the whole cage fighting thing was not a great PR look for the right. business. That's like a, you know, a very professional too. Like yeah. Almost like a legal services business. Oh, jeez, so. right. So I was like, I'm going to do cage fighting, do my own thing. Like I was just so, you know, we're, we're crushing it with work wins and, and that was going really well. And, and in that time I worked as a, uh, I helped a family friend do a storage unit project doing construction and demo. And I was just like, open my eyes to like, wow, you own this huge warehouse full of storage units. So it was just a cool, well, I kept that in the back of my mind and it's more relevant today. I worked at another tech startup. That startup kind of went away and I was a marketing consultant there. So I did HubSpot marketing for okay. all these businesses. That company kind of folded and then I got hired on to be a sales guy at the largest at the time, like small business uh, digital marketing shop in Lancaster called Easy Marketing. Um, crazy things happen like it's just growth like crazy growth I went from being an account manager to basically running like the recurring uh, services department three months wow Jeez. not my own thing just like circumstantial and I was there for a while and basically I was like you know what I'm gonna go try I went and went to Ann Arbor Michigan and Charlotte to interview for these I wanted to like work at a huge company talk to Lowe's talk to Google yeah. and I was like I can't do I was like you know what it's either gonna be entrepreneurial or big company. I just said, you know what? I'm not at that time. I just didn't feel like big company was right. I just wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I started my own marketing consulting gig. I met up with a buddy of mine from college. This is how now we're at the point where uh, perpetual equity groups getting formed, had lunch. And, um, he's just like, Hey, can you build me a website? I want to start this, this business and I'm going to try to grow to a billion dollar business. I'm like, that's incredibly ambitious. He was one of the smartest friends of mine in college. I was like, what does that even mean? Was he drinking when he said this? Sober. Oh, he's wow. been so, he was sober for years. Okay. Sober for okay. years. So he's so dead no serious. No alcohol and he's, he's got big dreams. He's, he's got, got big, big dreams. Yeah. And um, so I signed articles of organization like a week later, like just became a partner instead of just building a website. I was like, how about I just like help you? And went and got my real estate license. And we were going to do apartment complexes. So before... <laughs> The day before COVID hit, like March 13th, because it was my dad's birthday, we had 218 apartment com like doors under contract from like $0 starting in September yeah. to six months later, like got my real estate license. We got 218 units. It was a very large, like multi, multi-million dollar deal. And like as the agent, I was like, okay, we're doing good. My marketing and consulting company had 10 clients. As an agent doing residential, I had 10 clients, like signed, ready to go. Oh, wow. COVID hit, took everything. Everything off the table. Flip the script. Flip the script. So I almost went bank. Like I almost like went banco. I was like I fully yeah. invested, didn't have any cash coming in. Like was way like r riding that high tide. You know what I mean? Right. 
And I remember the marketing consulting thing. I was doing like such small projects and the world was like stopped, right? Oh so yeah, like, for everyone. I mean, no one knew what was going hall. on. Yeah, yeah. So everyone either went out of business that was my customer or they just like cut all expenses. Like we cannot pay, like we just can't. Yeah, can't afford it. We're not, we're not doing it. And then for real estate, it was illegal in Pennsylvania. So yeah. um, I had like 40 days where I was just like, what is possibly going on? And I just went back to the roots. I was like, all right, I'm going to go do digital marketing services for a business. I was like, I'll just go back and get a job like that. Yeah. I don't know what else to do. And it just so happened that the guy that I interviewed with at Intrepid International was 76 years old at the time, and he was looking to sell his business. Okay. And I started a company that went from doing commercial real estate to doing private equity, which is buying distressed businesses. Mm-hmm. So it was like the the right place, right time. Yeah. Like couldn't have gotten more Johnny lucky. Johnny on the like spot. Lucky. Yeah. So I went to a job interview, and I left it with a lead to buy their business as opposed to just coming in like having a w2 like just a job i was like i'm gonna own this right right you're gonna be the owner yeah so 12 no it'll be seven months after that we had papers signed for an option and we bought the business june of 21 so i went from basically being like completely broke to being like i own a business with like 40 employees (laughs) yeah yeah that was crazy uh, that's how COVID affected my life and business. So from twenty from twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, I think we've acquired like a ten more or eleven more businesses for Perpetual Equity Group. Wow! I never again. I learning it all on on the job. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't a finance guy. Wow! So did you have a mentor? Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's it's a mix, right? So I'm well, the two items I brought for you. Um, this would be probably the book that helped me the most with navigating private equity and doing a. So $100 million offers by Alex Ramosi. Okay. He's basically like the Michael Jordan of what I did. He owns acquisition.com. He owns like his personal brand on doing like what he does is, is just really it's something special. Yeah. So I learned a lot on selling like from there. And then... Um, Can I see it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. How to um, make offers so good people feel stupid saying no. Yeah. It's a great book. I might, have to, I might have to get you a copy. I actually have like four copies. So Do you really? I mean, I've given the gift. I've got the audio book. I've got the ebook. I love audio books, but yeah, yeah I, I, honestly. Audio book, if you read the audio, if you read this book with the audio book, you will not go wrong. He's great. So that, I would say like I follow influencers in the space and do a lot of reading, a lot of like personal development, a lot of podcasting, a lot of YouTube. But my grandfather um, would probably be like my biggest mentor in my right. life. Yeah. So he was like a poor farmer from Iowa that went and like just worked hard and like just in my opinion, the American dream, Applington, Iowa, like town of like 150 people. Right? Oh, wow. And then he went to the Naval Academy. And then they didn't have Top Gun school at the time, but he was a fighter pilot. He and was Top Gun. He was Top Gun. Was Top Gun. He, he, was, he was Tom Cruise before was, Tom Cruise was Exactly, a yeah. Back in the 50s. <laughs> That's so cool. He crashed a plane and had like a failed eject and like no almost way. died. Because he couldn't fly planes anymore, he was like, all right, let's go into business. And he got his MBA at Chicago. So when I look at like my life and everything, I'm like, okay, I'm 32. When he was like 36, he had 500 employees. Yeah, I had like 50. So I'm like, oh, what I'm doing is not shit. Like it's just <laughs> such like a joke. That's crazy. Comparatively, yeah. he would be a mentor of mine. Uh, I got I had a great opportunity with Perpetual Equity Group. The two senior members. Um, I mean, one guy was a partner at a big four financial firm in his 20s. Now he's in his 60s. Wow. Um, has had just like done 15 IPOs, just crazy, crazy consulting business like in that finance world. Another partner flipped like a million dollars with a real estate development, flipped all these radio stations, flipped all these like manufacturing companies. 
And now he's kind of like in the advisory seat, like, hey, here's here's how I did it. Yeah. So they were kind of mentors in a lot of ways, but I, w- I would say mentors is the single best, whether they're people you know or people that you follow their content, like just always be looking to learn from somebody else. Like don't mm-hmm. ever compete with other people. Like ever, even your comp- competition is your best teacher. Well, you can always learn something. I, I truly believe that. And like you said, learn from your competitors, learn from vendors that you use. You know, yeah. there's so much out there. Sure, you're competing for work, but at the end of the day, you can look at what they're doing and try to replicate that to benefit, you know, your employees or or your company. Um, so I want to ask also, what's you brought a second book that looks like it's been through hell, if I'm being honest. It's, it has been through hell. Yeah. So it was my grandfather's in 1957 when it was first uh, published. Wow. It's, uh, yep, copyright 1957. That's when okay. it was published. And it was his uh, copy of Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. So as a philosophy major, that's like a curse word. That's like a, it's like you don't re- – like this is not real philosophy to academics. But to a business person, yeah. this is the most real philosophy. So it's basically like at a time post-World War II when the baby boomers were all getting into business, it was the second most influential book behind the Bible in U.S. culture. What? It was all about – it was just like gung-ho on capitalism, uh, the – the idea behind it is called objectivism, which means like A equals A, two plus two is four. It is what it is. Facts are fa- facts. Like right. there's this whole ethos just about like, you know, there is good and bad, like black and white, uh, like morality, but in, but also in like business and productive achievement. So my grandfather gave me his original paperback book. And like, I read this in, in high school and that's why I was a philosophy major. It's why I was a literature major because he had all of her books. Yeah. And like, that was like hit, like, who was my mentor? Like, if this was what he was learning, I wanted to learn what he learned. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to right. think like he thought. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I did. A lot of, if anything I would consider like a successful would be like what he laid out for the family going from like nothing to being like. In charge of 500 plus people, you said. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And then that was, yeah, exactly. And then he, when he started his own thing, like he was always a business owner since I've known him. So he had his own real estate brokerage and he had like several other companies that he like started yeah. and, and sold and stuff. Um, but that, this, this is an homage to him. And then Alex Hermosi, I would say is like, like this would be like the mentor and this would be like the ideal rival. So anyone that played basketball against Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant was like, they were just trying to like win. And then, you know, they have to respect the game. So like his podcast is called the game. I would recommend anyone listening, if you're into business, to watch an episode. It's going to be a 10 or 15 minute investment. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. No, I have to check that out. Ross, what would you say is your passion? What are you really passionate about in life? I really just care a lot about the people in my life. So it's my family, number one. Um, I I really like care about my friends, my community. But I'm probably most passionate about like personal development and growth and just appreciating all the like good things that we have around here and making them better. Um, so I just want to help people, whether that's like getting more confidence and self-esteem through martial arts or whether that's like more physical fitness through like lifting or whether that's more money and freedom and peace of mind through business or more customers through marketing or, or less headaches through tech. Like it's all the same. I just like helping people yeah. in that respect. And I'm real passionate about like my mom being an immigrant, like my grandfather basically going from like a poor farmer to like yeah. being a business person. Uh, I just want to pay homage, like do my best. Productive achievement and like just excellence, however it looks. Like I don't want their sacrifice to be for nothing. 
Yeah, you want to carry on that legacy. Try to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Try the best I can, whether I do it or not. I mean, I, I always think like the the outcome is out of my hands, but the input is in my hands. Oh, that's well said. Yeah, perfect. Uh, both of us being a first-time father, what's one or two tips you would give to a first-time dad? Relax. You're doing a good job. Because babies can be real amen. overwhelming. Yeah. Oh, amen to that. And it can be really stressful. But like, as long as you're showing up and like you're being there, you're trying, you're doing, mm -hmm. you're, like the worst dad is an absent dad. That's the reason why I made like my career pivot, like what I did. So I, you know, I'm, I'm doing my own thing now. It's it's going to be, whenever this launches, it's called Thunderstock Marketing, doing fractional CMO. Okay. You know, for the, What that means is. For a lot of companies, like maybe a small mom and pop shop, they don't have a budget to hire $150,000 salary for a chief marketing officer full time, nor do they need one. Yeah. But if they want one, they can hire me for a fraction of that. Wow. And I'll just give you all the experience, all the expertise that I have across a lot of different industri industries, proven tracker to grow in businesses. Why? Because I can work from home and be around my family. It's huge. Your you time. Know, I don't, Your time, yeah. I can make a lot more money doing private equity, probably, right. yeah, but yeah. I don't want to. And I was out of the house 70, 80 hours a week traveling Oof. all the time. Like, I want to be at home. So that that was the number one thing is being present is the most important thing as being a father. And the second most important thing is being a father is, like, you will never stop and smell the roses more than when you appreciate, like, the just, like, when your kid smiles for the first time. Yeah. When she laughs for the first time. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no better feeling than that. Oh, it's those little things, uh, you know, a lot of my clients will ask me, you know, because they know we have uh... – Parker at home and you know I said it was great to go home after work before Parker you know it was nice see my wife is great you know I love Courtney she's phenomenal hard worker herself but to have Parker there it's just something a little special a little extra you know you're like oh my god you get to hold her just something about like you said smile or, she's always watching yeah they okay. absorb everything yeah their eyes open and her eyes have been open now lately a lot wide open you know and and yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're trying to smile and, you know, just do like little things like that. But I totally agree. You know, don't get overwhelmed. If you're there, I think that's half the battle. And if you're helping and, and being caring and, and, and participating, you know, um, and not just sleeping through the night, you know, your wife needs some help. Help her out for all the, the guys out there listening. Be there for your wives and take it one day at a time. What's your daily routine like? You're working from home. What, what do you got going on? So it's, it's changed a lot recently. So my old daily routine before the kid, obviously, like when I was with, with the private equity group was basically wake up, work, go to sleep, um, but like also an eye open on your phone. So it's always yeah. working, always plugged in, either taking calls, like, and unless I was like out when my phone was not there, I was always on my phone, always plugged in, working, social media, email, calls, yep. you know, you name it. Now my daily routine is really simple. It's like I'll reverse it. So like I try to get Torvi to bed by, well, Skylar and I, between bath time at 8 o'clock, mm -hmm. getting ready for bed, trying to get to sleep by like 9, between last diaper, last feeding, whatever, nine, right. 9.30. Right now she's waking up anywhere between midnight and like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, so okay. 3 o'clock. So wake up, do that, and then I get the I get the four thirty to like maybe five forty five six a.m. shift. So I wake up, and my first like however many hours is just taking care of her. So she's like half asleep. She wants her first bottle. She gets changed. I'm on the couch with her. I'm just like, it's like my daily like people like oh wake up and meditate. That's what yeah yeah I meditate yep. by like taking care of my kid right because that's like when I'm focused and like that's yeah. all I like, focus on. Mm -hmm. So I always start the day off on the right foot by like yeah daddy daughter time at the beginning of the day. 
Um, I'll pretty much after that work out, come home, eat a big breakfast. And then it is either, it is either like I will focus on taking care of whatever the family needs currently, or I'll, I'll try to, I like to work this shift like remotely right now. Yeah. 10 o'clock in the morning until like 5 p.m. Okay. And then I try to do a hard stop at 5 p.m. and just not work. Yeah. Until 8 o'clock. So from 5 to 8, it's like family time. Phone, like we'll phone, go for a walk. Yeah, you just put your phone down, turn it off, just like... I just try to try put it on, like, do not disturb. Yep. Yeah. I throw it in another room, like, charge it somewhere else. Because I realize, like, so much of that time, you're just not... You're not doing a work-life balance. You're just... Do, there's no separation between work and life. And, right. like... What I want to do with this fractional CMO business is help other people win their time back. Like that's what I'm doing. That's huge. I'm getting my that's time huge. back from my family. What matters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's so, the most valuable thing you have is time. If you think about it. So I think when exactly. Yeah. So I think when my child gets to the point where your child's at, which is sleeping through the night, it might be like wake up at like five o'clock and then just like grind on work, hard work from like five to like eight, and then from eight to like ten. That's like going to be my routine of like shower, eat, get ready for the day. And then I really want to make it a habit to not take like meetings until like 11 or noon after like I'm fully awake and have all the deep work, like all the, you know, video editing and all the scheduling, all the writing, all, right. you know, all the, all the deep work you could possibly do be in the morning. That's what I think the optimal routine, but also given as dads, we got to give ourselves grace and be like, dude. You didn't do everything you're supposed to do, but it's okay. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely okay. You know, sometimes, hey, you got to go play around round of golf with the boys. You know, you, you got to get away. Yeah. And at the same time, then, hey, you do the same thing for, you know, your wife, your significant other. Let her get out of the house. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, you can't be too hard on yourself, especially those first couple of weeks, like in the first two, three weeks, you know, where the baby's waking up three, four times a night. You're like, whoa. It's definitely an adjustment, but uh, I think if anybody out there is, on the fence or considering, you know, I think go all in. Cause once you get old, who's going to take care of you? You know, Dude, you, <laughs> having a kid brings a whole new meaning to life for sure. I mean, my number one job is to be the best dad I can be. I, I feel like the kid might not be always having her eyes open watching me, but like everything I'm doing, she's absorbing. Like they just feel, they feed off your energy. Like Definitely. they can't console themselves. Yeah. So if you're stressed, they get stressed. They it's feel like it. this crazy. Uh huh. But if I'm chilling and she's chilling, it's like the best. It's like makes me I, – I, I don't recommend it for every single person. I don't think everyone should have a kid. Right, But right. for those that have the ambition that they want to do that, like there's no reason to wait. Like no one's ever ready. Right. Just jump in, oh, jump, no, jump in with both no, feet. No one's ever ready. No, if you're no. like, oh, I want to wait till I'm financially set, um, you're going to be dead. Make, yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. not going to happen. It's really not. I, I actually – well, I don't know if I want to tell that story. I um, I know several people that are really successful in business that at the end of their career, at the end of their career, they're like, my number one mistake was not being around my wife and kid more, and now I don't have them, but Damn. I have all this money in the bank. Because you can't go back in time and get them back. Right. But you can always get more money. That's true. That's <laughs> like, true. Yeah. Like you can right. have a come up. Like if you had like the world's biggest client, like you, the, there's always the next at bat. But if you never go to the game or never play the game, that to me was a really powerful like conversation I had in the last month. They were just like, damn. Like everyone in the room I talked to besides me was like super wealthy, cash on hand, like millionaire wise. Right. You know, this is just to set the scene. And everyone was just like, Yep, I went through a divorce when I was your age and I was working eighty hours a week, I always traveled damn. never home. And yeah. I'm like, dude, 
I appreciate your business skill, but I do not want to. I do not want to be in that spot. Right, and like you said, I want to be tight with my kid. I want to have more kids. Like, yeah, that's where I'm at. It's that work-life balance, and it's are you willing to sacrifice everything? You know, family, friends, to really chase after the money, or you have to find that balance. And hey, grow the family, grow grow your friends, spend time with your friends, and then at the same time, you know, put some time in for the business. Like you said, all it takes is one or two big, big clients, and and you're right there. So. It's definitely Kobe Bryant. Yeah. If, you, if you like him, I think it does one of the best jobs of work-life balance, being the best basketball player at the time, and also having like four daughters, like being there for them. Too. Yeah. How can our listeners connect with you and follow along on your journey? Yeah, man. So if you type in Ross Stockdale seven one seven, that's my Instagram. Uh, Facebook's just Ross Stockdale. Uh, LinkedIn is J Ross Stockdale at LinkedIn. Um, I'll be creating a website in the next couple of weeks. It's called, it's called Thunderstock Marketing. So my daughter's name is Torby, which is like Norse for goddess of thunder. Oh, that's so awesome. My marketing consulting gig will be called Thunderstock because my last name is Stockdale. Perfect. I also want people to have their business heard like the thunder, and I want to grow your stock. Ooh. Like, like yeah. Yeah, uh, like oh, stock market. So I like that. Play on words. Yeah, yeah. I love playing words and that catchphrase there. That's perfect. You know, for all the listeners out there, if you have – there are a couple of business owners I know. Listen, uh, definitely check Ross out, and uh, you know, reach out on social media. Because hey, what do you have to lose? You know, if you don't reach out, you never know. Uh, so before we close out, is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know? And the number one thing I would like the listeners to know is this is probably the greatest country that's ever existed in the in the, the universe. Yeah, as I as I experience as I know it. So. We have more of an impact on making this place and this community and, you know, from our families to our towns to our communities, city, state, all the way up to the national level than, than you, y'all probably even know. So don't be afraid to dream big and take big, massive risk and big, massive action because you, if you poke the universe, it'll, it'll respond and, like, this is the best place to be. And I'm, you know, new to Lebanon area and Lancaster area. I'm a lifelong Lancaster, but... The food here is amazing. Yeah. We have rain. We have green. I've done business across the country and, like, just appreciate where you come from and don't think, like, don't talk shit on Lebanon. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, That's the number one thing I want people to not do. Perfect. I couldn't agree more, you know, and uh, it is the greatest country and you can chase your dreams, put the work in and, and, uh, you know, like you said, the universe will echo back. So Ross Stockdale on the American Grown Podcast in the ColorTech Creative Solutions Studios. Thank you for joining me. Cool, dude. Yeah, man. To see photos of today's guests and more content, just search American Grown Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to be a featured guest on the podcast, please direct message or email Austin at americangrownpod at gmail.com.